Hello and welcome to Timeless Truths, a sermon podcast from St. Mark Ministries in Greater Green Bay, Wisconsin. This week we continue our series, Looking Back to a Better Future. In episode 28, let's join Pastor John Parlow as we find out it's about Monday. So open up your heart, open up your Bible, and let's dig into these timeless truths. There's an old Scottish proverb that says, confession is good for the soul. Many people believe that proverb is true, at least in a very general sense. Admitting when you're wrong can give you a sense of inner peace, as well as maybe uh, restore some relationships. When God talks about confessing, he's not just talking about maybe having some emotional peace or having uh, some restored earthly relationships. Sin has the potential to separate you from God forever. And that's why confession is important for the soul. As we continue our series in the Old Testament, especially the books of 1 and 2 Kings, we're today going to take a look at our response to God. And not our response over ordinary, mundane things in our life, but during that critical time in our life when we've gotten spiritually off track because of our sin. And in order to take a look at that and what we're supposed to do about it, we're going to take a look at another intriguing character in First uh, and Second Kings, a man we already met in the first message of this series who would become King Josiah. King after king before Josiah arrives on the scene had disobeyed the true God of Israel, the true God of the world, and started to do all sorts of things. They had gone far afield, and that's putting it mildly. The moral and religious climate was horrible. They were worshiping false gods. They were sacrificing sometimes their children to idols. Uh, They were involved in all sorts of sexual immorality and debauchery. They even were dabbling in the occult. You name it, they did it. To make matters worse, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, had been lost it's lost. They didn't know how it got lost. Somehow, some way, it got pushed aside, it got ignored, it got put away. But Josiah finds it as he's renovating the temple. And he sits down immediately and he reads it from cover to cover. And he is so moved by what he reads, he tears his robe, which in that culture, in that, that time frame, was the most dramatic a reaction you could have to something. And that's where we pick up the account Today, 2 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 13. He gave these orders. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words in this book. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. The king's messengers went to speak to the prophetess Huldah. She said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the man who sent you to me, This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. According to everything written in the book, the king of Judah has read. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and provoked me, to anger by all the idols their hands have made. So they're going to get punished by God because they worshiped other gods. God's going to rain down judgment. But he says this to the king. Verse 18. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste, and because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors. It's a way to say, I'm going to take you to heaven. And you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place. Now that's a lot to unpack there. But if you examine it, there are at least four questions we need to ask, maybe four responses, when we discover sin in our lives, if we're going to have an ongoing, ongoing and growing relationship with the true God. These four questions or four responses are usually put underneath the umbrella called confession or forgiveness or repentance, and they're key for a relationship with Jesus. Josiah shows us these. He models these for us. By one thing he does is he acknowledges sin in his own life. He owns it, and he deals with it, and he responds to it. And that really raises the first question I'd like us to take a look at, and that is, why do Christians confess? You ever wonder about that? The other world religions and their adherents, they don't have that practice for the most part. Why, why do Christians, why do Jesus' followers confess? Seems kind of strange. Well, let's let Scripture answer the question. It says this, a command here, Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Or James says this, Confess your sins to each other. Or David said, when I kept silent, my, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. We as Jesus followers confess because God commands us to. It's an act of obedience, it's an act of worship on our part to the true God, and we also long for the forgiveness that only Jesus can give us. Nothing else on this world and no one else can give that to us. But then that raises the second question that naturally follows. Um, What are we acknowledging as we have our confessions to God? What are we talking about? What are we confessing? Scripture says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Or it says this, Our sins are many in your sight, and our sins testify against us. Our sins are ever with us, and we acknowledge our iniquities. Or David, with this famous passage talking about our sinfulness. Surely I was sinful from birth, or full of sin at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We not only confess what we have done, but who we are. We are natural born sinners. I sin and I'm a sinner. Real, bold disobedience to God all the time. And all of us are in that same boat. Whether we're talking about things like lust or greed, or maybe a a mean spirit or an uncontrolled tongue, or maybe we're talking about envy or gossip, or maybe it's murderous thoughts or violent actions. The truth is, we're sinners 
who sin from the moment of conception to present day right now, and we do it multiple times. And the only thing we really deserve from God, a holy God, is to be eternally separated from him in a place he calls hell. Well, then that brings us naturally to a third response or a third, I don't know, a third question, and that is, okay, well, if we're sinners and we don't like, we like to play God ourselves, how do we get to the point where we actually confess our sins as sins? Because that's not easy for human beings to do because we don't like to admit we're wrong. Well, Scripture tells us this. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. You're not going to work your way to heaven. Rather, through the law, we become conscious or aware of our sin. I would not have known what sin was, Paul says, had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. God makes us aware of our sin with his word, specifically what is called the law, the do's and the don'ts, which serve as a mirror showing us that we're not as perfect as we think we are, we're not even good most of the time, and we need a savior. See, God says things to you and me like, don't do that. And we go, yeah, I I like to do that, I'm going to do it anyways. Or, do this, and we say, nah, not going to do it. We disobey God. And, and that's not healthy at all. But not only do we want to recognize sin as sin in our lives, but then what happens is we're moved to regret our sin. We, we're, we're not just sorry we got caught. We regret that we sinned. And then we have remorse, or some people call it contrition, which is this deep emotional sadness because we didn't just break the law of God we broke the heart of God and we, we created a wedge between God and us. And then that leads to what people call, the Bible calls repentance. Repentance is a word picture. It means you're headed in this direction and it's the wrong direction. And then God turns you around and makes you realize that and turns you in the right direction. Repentance always carries with it this idea that you recognize your sin and you leave it. You don't live in it. You don't try to excuse it or say you're the victim of it. You strive to leave that life of sin. And that's why confession and repentance is so important. If you and I as Jesus followers, and I'm just talking to the Christians here, if you and I as Jesus followers don't really recognize sin in our lives, it's spiritually injurious. If you don't call sin a sin in your life, what you immediately do is you start walling up your conscience and you start hardening your heart. Not only that is... Every time you try to excuse sin or you don't call sin a sin in your life, what happens is it's like a shot of Novocaine. And you will callous your heart and you will, uh, you will crush your, your conscience. And that not only will lead you, my friends, to go ahead and go off track spiritually, but it has the potential to lead you eternally away from God. So that leads us to the fourth question. And this is where the good news finally comes in. It's this. Okay, when God has led us to confess our sins and recognize our need for a Savior, then what announcement does he make to us? And here's the good news. It says this. Jesus said, Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Or it says in Hebrews, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. After we've been crushed by God's law, we are cured by his gospel message. The message that we have a Savior, Jesus, who came from heaven, 
and lived perfect for us and died for all of our sins. He removes that guilt from us. He gives us a new identity. We're sons and daughters of the king. and gives us a fresh start. It's a wonderful blessing. That's why John later in his ministry would write these words. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And God has given me and God has given you the right to declare that forgiveness to a repentant, a truly repentant sinner. No matter what she's done or he's done, no matter who they are, you have the right to declare that. You have the right to say to the repentant sinner, your sins are forgiven. In fact, Jesus commands me to do that, even in a group like this. Right after his resurrection, he's meeting with his disciples, and he now gives them a new ability in their ministries as he's about to ascend. We pick it up in John chapter 20 where it says, Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. He now gives his followers then and today the ability to forgive sins in Jesus' name. Then he goes on to say, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Have you ever been to a church service where maybe it was a more traditional service, they used a hymnal, they used a liturgy in the service as well, and early in the liturgy they have that part called the confession and absolution? And then at the end, the pastor says something like this, as a called servant of Christ, and by his authority, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I understand that several people listening right now think that's nuts. Think, Pastor, you can't claim that you forgive someone's sins. You can't do that. Oh, yes, I can. Jesus commands me to. Not only me, he commands you to make that announcement too to repentant sinners. In fact, he gave you, in Matthew chapter 18, a four-step process through which you are to help people see that forgiveness, see their sin, and turn to Jesus for forgiveness. We sometimes, I think, mistitle these as the four steps of church discipline when they really should be called the four steps of soul care. Let's just walk through these together and apply them to you and me. First one, if your brother or sister sins, a fellow Christian, go and point out their fault. Notice, you don't wait for them to come to you, and you know that they sin. You have first-hand knowledge. And it's not because they sin against you. They sin against God's word, very clearly. If you know they sin, you're supposed to go to them because, the Bible teaches, unrepentant sin, unrepentant lifestyle, sinful lifestyle, destroys your faith. And I often wonder, and I'm going to say this to you as nice as I can, how much do you have to hate someone? to go ahead and watch them live in a sinful lifestyle that you know is destroying their faith, but you don't want to say anything because they might not like you. If you saw that person in the street, they're going to hit by a car, you do everything to rescue them. Why is it when you see them in a road that's headed toward hell, living in a relationship that God says is not good or sinful, how come you don't say anything? Jesus says this. He says you go to that person because that person matters to Jesus. If they listen to you, 
you have won them over. In other words, they've repented of their sin. Fine, done. But what happens if they don't listen to you and they just swear at you or whatever? Do you go, well, I tried. I tried. Nope. Jesus says, that soul is too important to me. I got a second step for you to carry out. That's why Jesus says this. But if they will not listen, take two, one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's a quote out of Deuteronomy 17. Maybe two or three people showing up at their doorstep with you will bring to their attention the seriousness of their sin and the peril that their soul is in. But what happens if they look at you and say, hey, why don't you take a long walk on a short pier? I'm not listening. I'm going to live my life any way I want. Do you go, okay, try twice. No, not done yet, Jesus says, because that soul's too important. He says, then you come to us, to me. Then, only after the first two, do you take the third step and you come to the church. He says, if they won't listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector, an unbeliever in those days. You remove them from the community of faith, not because you don't love them, because you do love them. And you're trying to wake them up and saying, listen, I'm not going to let you corrupt other people by your bad, uh, bad actions. I'm trying to wake you up. That's why you don't let them take communion, right? It's called excommunication. That's not a mean word. It's a loving thing. It's Latin for keep them away from communion so they don't hurt themselves. And just to know that Jesus wants you to do that, he, he uses a picture here. He says in verse 18, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When you're caring for a fellow Christian and you know that that person is caught up in a sin, sinful lifestyle, what you want to do and you go to that person and you say, God says you're not supposed to do that. I'm not saying that. God says it. And they say, I don't care. I don't care. I know it's wrong. I don't really care. No one's telling me how to live my life. At that point, Jesus says, you have the right to tell that person, you have cut yourself off from the forgiveness Jesus won for you on the cross. You are in your sins and you're headed toward hell. You have every right to say that. On the other hand, if that person listens to God's word, repents of her sin, leaves that lifestyle or leaves that sin she's involved in, then you have every right to announce to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus has restored you. He has lifted that guilt. You're no longer bound by your sin and its consequences. Now he's unloosed them. He's untied them. He's loosed them from you. You have a fresh start. And not only does he encourage you to do that, not only does he command you to do that, not only does he equip you to do that, he's standing right behind you when you do that. Look at verse 19 and 20. Often misunderstood passages. Again, Jesus says, Truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. And here's the passage that's taken out of context all the time. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. That's not about worship. It's true, he's here. But that's not the passage you use. This passage in this, in this context, in its original context, is about when you carry out church discipline or when you carry out soul care for someone. Not only do you have Jesus' authority, he's standing right next to you when you're doing it. That's what the passage means. Christians have called this the ministry of the keys. You'll see a picture now that we have in our, in our catechism, Luther's catechism. 
It's a great way to sum up what my ministry is and yours as we care for one another, realizing everyone's going to spend eternity in one of two places. We'd like that to be with Jesus. And so we can't watch people harm themselves spiritually and say nothing because we're afraid they won't like us. See, Christianity isn't about sinfulness. And it's not about perfection. It's about how we handle sin in our lives. We are to call sin a sin by God's standard. We are to regret it, to have remorse or contrition over it, and then repent of it, turn away from it. And repentance carries the idea that you're not going to stay in it. And what happens is when we respond in the correct way to sin in our lives, then Jesus responds to us in a certain way. He meets regret with grace. He meets, he meets uh, remorse with repentance. He meets... Oh, repentance, or with forgiveness, he meets repentance with uh, reconciliation. See, when you and I speak about sin in a godly way, then we finally hear the words we long for from our Savior. Forgiven. And that is why confession is good for the soul. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Timeless Truths. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, we're glad you could join us. For more information or to support the work of St. Mark Ministries, check out our website at stmarkministries.com. Be sure to tune in next episode as we kick off our brand new series for Lent, His Final Footsteps. And remember, you matter and you are loved.